Hello and welcome to another interview at UK Column. And today I am so happy to welcome Dr. Thomas Binder. And I, I have to say, I'm just going to make this a little personal for a minute because Dr. Binder happens to be one of my heroes, my personal heroes since the start of all of this. So I'm extremely excited to welcome him. But before I do, I just want to, to tell everyone watching and listening that Dr. Thomas Binder is a highly experienced cardiologist, immunologist, virologist, with over 35 years experience. And he's in Switzerland, by the way, and maybe we'll touch on Switzerland further on in, in the interview, perhaps if we have time, because we have so much to cover. But since the onset of COVID-19, Dr. Thomas Binder was one of the very first physicians to stand up and to speak out. And it was only when he was 200% certain that he was right, that he decided to whisper, just to whisper to people his concerns at what he was seeing. He wrote to his MPs, he wrote to his colleagues, and he heard nothing back. So when you've whispered and you haven't been heard, you speak a bit louder. So he started to speak a bit louder and he started to be heard. And one day on April the 9th, after he put out a blog, his life changed forever. And this is the most extraordinary story, I think, that I've heard throughout the whole of this saga of the COVID-19 pandemic. And without further ado, I just want to say thank you so much to Dr. Binder for agreeing to come and speak to us on UK Column and welcome and please introduce yourself and tell us your remarkable, remarkable story. Welcome. Thank you very much for having invited me, dear Debbie, and thank you very much for this extremely kind introduction. Uh, it, it's, it's maybe a little bit too good to be true. <laughs> uh, well, I, I must say that uh, I like UK Column. I, I know UK Column for years. Uh, usually I watch the news if whenever possible. And uh, I, I'm, I thank UK Column that they have produced all our Doctors for COVID-18 symposia that are five by now. Uh, well, I study medicine in Zurich, Switzerland. Then I was not sure whether I should go into research or into clinics. So I spent a year in the Department for Immunology and Virology and wrote my thesis there. So I must say I'm not an immunologist and a virologist, but of course I have a huge scientific background there, broad scientific background. Then because then I decided, no, I, I would not uh, like to spend my life in the laboratory. So I, I want to care for patients. So I became a clinician. I specialized in first in internal medicine and then in cardiology and have 35 years now of experience also in diagnosis and therapy, of course, of acute respiratory infections for the first 10 years in hospitals, also in ICUs, of course, and for 25 years in my practice in Wettingen. Everything changed for you because you were one of the very first doctors 
to stand up and you did absolutely make sure didn't you you spoke to all of your colleagues you did your research you had everything backed up and you're you're so passionate in do no harm and as a doctor i know that one of your biggest messages has been that you felt a duty to your patients and to the public to speak out so tell us what what started you wondering and thinking none of this is making sense none of this is equating because we're of a similar a similar age a similar generation this was alien to all of your medical training what happened yes i already in january when i saw these strange uh, videos and, and and pictures from china i realized something strange is going on i mean the the people who allegedly suddenly died on the street always landed on their hands uh, and i thought oh my god a new propaganda pandemic might come like we like the last big one was the was the swine swine flu scam in 2009 and then it went on in February. Suddenly, the virus appeared in Bergamo. That's 50 kilometers from the south and Swiss border where I live. And at that time, I immediately realized, highly likely because I have this combined scientific and, and uh, clinical background, I immediately realized that this whole corona narrative is utter unscientific nonsense from a like no epidemiologically relevant asymptomatic transmission over uh, over d like wrong definition of covid infection and covid death i for wrong indication to test t for wrong test uh, v for wrong vaccine to said like zero covid is an intellectual absurdity everything i had learned during my uh, in medical school, during my scientific education, and in my practical life, was suddenly turned upside down. It was utter nonsense. And uh, I'm not a hero, uh, dear Debbie, not at all, but times have never been easier than nowadays to become a hero. You just have to think and act this in the same way you did before 2020. And of course, I realized immediately that as it is my duty to inform my patients about their medical condition in a way that lay people can understand and then decide how to proceed, I have to inform the public about this medical condition of the whole society so that lay people can understand and then uh, handle the situation uh, informedly, decide how to handle it. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I. First, I, I started with writing emails to friends, to fellow doctors, to journalists I knew, politicians I knew, and I never got any answer. Not even an answer like, Thomas, you're crazy, so just no answer. So as I could not reach out to the, to the public via the journalists, I started to write blogs, I intensified my social media activities, and then on Thursday before Easter 2020, I wrote a, uh, another blog, quite a huge blog, where I explained again the whole nonsense narrative uh, in a way that everybody could understand it. And this was clicked about 20,000 times in a day. So I thought, oh, well, I didn't understand by me, uh, an ordinary doctor from Switzerland should inform Switzerland, maybe the half of the world, but when I did it, and I thought, yeah, other fellow doctors will do the same. And in a week or so, this nonsense narrative will, will have collapsed. But 
then something else happened on Easter Sunday. I wanted to go on holiday with my wife for a week. So on Saturday evening, I did some final work in my practice. And then at about 10 o'clock in the evening, I was brutally arrested in my practice by an anti-terrorist squad, 20 policemen. In this whole operation, 60 policemen were involved. At the same time, they protected all our uh, ministers uh, of, of the province where I live, Canton Argau in Switzerland. And the reason was that a good acquaintance of mine who got also my emails, who read my blogs, etc., saw threats in this. In what I wrote, he saw threats. I never threatened anyone. I just threatened his worldview. And uh, he then called another good acquaintance of mine, the prime minister of the province where I live in Switzerland. And he told him, yeah, I would threaten government, public. I mean, I, I would tell something like uh, this killer virus is not more dangerous than influenza and so on and so forth. And on the phone, they decided not to call me. I mean, they both have my handy number stored on their handies. So in this situation, I would have called uh, Thomas. Uh, we don't understand what you want to tell us. Uh, maybe we can meet for a corona and you can explain it to us again. No, they decided they informed the chief of the state police of my province. And so this whole action, this whole operation started. After an hour, they realized, oh, well, yeah, there was no threat. So the allegations were I, I would threaten. I was armed and I had a psychiatric history. And after one hour, they realized everything was wrong. My weapon they found at home. I got it in 1980 when I entered Swiss military service. And when I uh, left military as a prime lieutenant, I think, uh, in uh, about 20 years ago, I stored it at home as every Swiss man does it without ammunition. This is normal and completely legal in Switzerland. And I never had a psychiatric history. After an hour, they realized this, oh, uh, false alarm. And then from whatever reason, because they could not even put me in jail, they sent an emergency doctor to me, an internist. And you must imagine already at that time, she wore such a hardcore FFP2 mask and shouted, put on the mask, put on the mask, the virus, the virus. So this colleague had to check my mental status. It went something like this. The first question was, what is the date? I said, April 11th, 2020. And maybe the third question was, what is the current year? And well, then uh, this was a kind of silent protest. Maybe it was not very intelligent, but uh, I, I answered 1984. And then it went on like this. In the end, she decided I am Corona insane. So she invented a new diagnosis. There is no ICD code for Corona insanity. And this is not enough, of course, for involuntary commitment. You must also be a danger to others or to yourself. As I was not endangering others, she decided as I was endangering myself, although in Twitter and Facebook, I wrote some days before something like I'm 58 years old, sporty and no medication and would never ever commit suicide because I felt that there might be some risk uh, 
when I go public. And the 36, the first 36 hours I spent in isolation, kind of padded cell. And then the psychiatrist diagnosed mania. Mania, uh, yeah. Uh, of course, the psychiatrist also lived in this context of delusion. He was corona insane. And of course, she, he decided, yeah, it must be corona insane. So he, he had to find a, a psychiatric diagnosis. And then, of course, I appealed and the court decided, yes, they must free me. But they gave me two options uh, because I wanted to work, of course. They gave me two options. Either you stay in the hospital for six months for having treated this mania, or you can leave and continue to work, but you must take a neuroleptic, a bilify, and whether I took it or not was weakly controlled by blood level examination. So, of course, I chose uh, the second option. And, uh, yeah, after some weeks, I could stop this medication. I checked my liver enzymes. They went up. I could stop it, and then I could free myself from this government psychiatric control and change to a private uh, psychiatrist that I had to visit about once every six weeks because the medical authorities, of course, wanted to be sure that I'm capable of uh, seeing treating patients. Yeah, this, this, was, this is the story. I never did something wrong, so they could not really arrest me. I never told anything that was not scientifically 100% evidence-based, so they could not really hurt me. And here I am, of course, I continued. <laughs> uh, I, I even got more energy by this. Of course, I continued, I networked in Switzerland. Uh, we created a network of doctors and scientists. I joined Doctors for COVID Ethics around such, uh, Professor Emeritus Sucharit Bhakti, the German microbiologist, you certainly know, and uh, also a German network. And I was also in the group of these 22 live scientists who did this external peer review of the Corman Drostel protocol. That, that was the recipe for this RT-PCR test, where we found these 10 uh, basic flaws, that the peer review, the alleged peer review, lasted only 24 hours. Uh, this was a joke. We published this in November 2020, and we demanded the retraction of this, uh, of this uh, uh, study of this article. That was the basis of this, this whole nonsense, but of course we didn't succeed. Dr. Binder, I have to say there's so much to unpack there, but I just want to, because I think because you've obviously gone through this absolute heinous, in my opinion, trauma of brutality, I think it's easy for you to talk about it. Um, but when we're listening to it, listeners and viewers, I just want to reiterate that these were 60, 60 armed police that turned up at your surgery. And I have seen footage and I've also seen you demonstrating where how your surgery is. And you were basically looking up, weren't you? And you just happened to notice them outside the doors. Did you, what, what could you do? I mean, your wife is waiting to go on holiday. Did you ring her? Did you manage to put out an emergency alert with anybody when you saw all of these armed police surrounding you that you weren't expecting? I was confronted only by about 20 of those 60. The other 40s at that time had to protect the five ministers 
from this uh, well-known terrorist, Dr. Thomas Binder. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I realized I, uh, at about 10 o'clock, I wanted to make a coffee. So for, for this, I, I could see through the entrance door that is made out of glass. And then I saw these uh, police officers on the stairs that went up and down. And then I ran immediately back to my computer, sent an emergency message over Twitter and Facebook, help, uh, the police is coming after me, I will be arrested, and I could call my daughter. I just wanted to inform them. I had no idea what's happening. I mean, yeah, maybe they would kill me, and, 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 and I, I didn't know. So just that some people knew about this, and uh, this made, made some, uh, created a little... Uh, uh, at least regionally, some public outcry. Uh, some new media even uh, reported uh, this uh, around the world. And uh, yeah, well, it, it was an amazing story. But uh, what does not kill you makes you stronger. And uh, I, I mean, I, I knew, I knew, I'm not the kind, the, the, the guy who always has to. Be right. I mean, these these guys are in our parliaments, and but but if I have rights, I fight for this. And this is a this. I mean, we realize it by now. Of course, this this was from the start. I realized this is about life and death. This is this is about good versus evil. I mean, I spent the first. I spent Easter Sunday in this padded cell, and 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 there I heard that that that. Uh, the churches are empty and the place in front of St. Peter's Dome in, in uh, Rome are empty. And at that time, well, I already realized, I mean, who could possibly do this if not the devil himself? And you can call me crazy, but I think more and more people realize by now this is uh, about uh, good versus evil. And there we have to stand up and against this, of course. Uh, I had no psych psychological trauma. Yeah, people sometimes think, oh, you're strong. So I don't know. It just, yeah, uh, I didn't have a, a problem with this. I lost, uh, I lost uh, the wrong friends, of course. I guess we all uh, 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 realized that this, uh, made this experience. I lost some old friends that were not really friends, but I gained many, many new friends. And these are always empathetic people that 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 are not uh, egoists, that are not selfish people, and and we find we all find great new friends such as Ludeb. I mean, we can meet for the first time, and immediately we feel we basically we have we, we work on the same wavelength. Huh? Is, is this not yeah, amazing? And this is a this is a good side of this. This is a good side of this uh, insanity. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But that doesn't take away from the fact that you were forced into a padded cell. You were given a psychiatric diagnosis that, in my opinion, is I, I see your passion. I see passion. I see a doctor that wants to do the right thing by his patients. I see a doctor that is following his medical code in do no harm. That's what I see. And, you know, I'm I'm thinking about your colleagues here. What has happened to doctors? Are they being driven by, I mean, you know, you received a diagnosis, as you say, with no ICD 
code and a diagnosis that didn't exist of COVID insanity. And yet we're talking to doctors that, in my opinion, as a nurse, for example, you never give an injection to an unborn baby uh, uh, via a pregnant mum. We don't experiment on pregnant women. It seems that doctors are either ignoring uh, logic and good common sense or they've been brainwashed. Who are doctors trusting? Are doctors trusting academics? Are doctors trusting the regulators? Where has this gone wrong? Um, can can we trust our doctors? Do our doctors know who to trust? I guess my case nicely shows what's going on globally. I mean, we all realized that, that the society was divided in, a, in an amount we had never experienced before. And so, something like this doesn't happen by accident. This always means that some part of the humanity is caught in a context of delusion, living in a sect or a cult. And of course, everybody says, oh, I'm the realist, and the other side is the deluded. And in such a situation, we always have to question ourselves first 100 times, Am I absolutely sure that I'm the realist and that I'm not the deluded? And this question we can only answer if we look at reality as soberly as possible. So I always showed the public, look, this is 100% scientifically evidence-based. This is the reality. Now compare it uh, with, with what, what your government, your health authorities are telling you. Yeah, what is wrong with my fellow doctors? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's hard to say, but well, usually, I mean, most doctors work quite hard, and of course, they have some basic trust in in the health authorities and the regu and the regulators for drugs and vaccines. And of course, we do not have time to to read all pivotal studies of new drugs or vaccines ourselves, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And but in this, in this situation, first, as I told you, I mean, the, the whole narrative is utter nonsense. I mean, for me, it's hard to realize why not every doctor uh, realized this as, as, as I did. But I, I always say, I think our problem is currently we have in, in all, uh, in all uh, aspects of society, we have great specialists for every leaflet of, of every, every tree. But the people who are seeing the forest, they are dying out. And uh, yeah, so obviously, I was one of one of those, and I immediately saw what 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 others not saw. Uh, for me, it's a miracle. It, it's it, it's strange uh, until nowadays. And then we must know that this the power of delusion obviously is extremely strong. I mean. Uh, Highly likely, most of, of, of my fellow doctors are just completely brainwashed. And the trick was, I mean, they panic the populace. And uh, as doctors are humans as well, uh, although sometimes are called demigods in white, huh? in white, but they are humans as well. And they managed to panic the doctors. They were afraid to see their patients. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, I heard of many patients that the doctor told them, oh, now you have COVID. Don't see me. Don't visit me. Come back when you are healthy again. I mean, imagine that. So go to the doctor only if you are healthy. 
Yeah, and, and, and it also showed highly likely that most doctor are, doctors are selfish. So they were afraid of their own, that they cared for their own health before caring for the, for the health of, of their patients. And this is, of course, contrary to, to the Hippocratic Oath, as you mentioned, first do no harm, or the more modern version, or the declaration of the World Medical Association, and an important sentence is there, uh, I will not use my medical knowledge to violate civil liberties or human rights, even under threat. Yeah, most of them were completely brainwashed. But also, I mean, as I said, the narrative per se is absolute utter nonsense. And then came these vaccines, these injections. And this is such a new method, an experimental method. So I think it was the duty of every doctor to inform himself. I mean, you cannot trust everything. You, you must inform yourself. And also these, these injections, I mean, the story is extremely simple. Imagine we inject the construction plan for the production of a foreign protein into the body without having any control which cells will produce and then present it on their surface in what amount and for how long. Alone this would be enough that this, the whole mRNA platform could should never have been approved. I mean, Paracelsus in the 16th century said, it's the dose that makes the poison. Huh? I mean, it's that simple. We do not know the dose. Maybe a six-month-old produces 10 or 100 times more spike protein than a 30-year-old bloke. It's insane. We just don't, don't know it. And the second basic flaw of the modified RNA platform is that the cells who express and then present this foreign protein on the body on, the, on their surface, on the cell surface, are mistakenly recognized by our immune system as foreign. This is the fundamental principle of the immune system is to recognize foreign. And if, if it finds foreign, it does not negotiate. It does not ask, are you, do you come in peace or are you evil? It, it kills first and, and thinks then. So these cells are attacked and destroyed. This is not a huge problem if these are muscle cells, as some experts told in the beginning and are still telling the people because muscle cells can regenerate. But if these are heart muscle cells or brain cells that cannot regenerate, there is damage. There is damage forever. Uh, this, this again, I mean, these two basic flaws, every doctor should have should have realized. And this is important for the populace to realize that these two flaws uh, are valuable for the whole modified RNA vaccine platform. So the whole platform must be banned immediately. In these, in these corona uh, vaccines injections, it is even worse that in, in that the, 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 the antigen, the foreign protein that is chosen per se is, is toxic as well itself is toxic, and the lipid nanoparticles that uh, deliver uh, the, the spike, the, 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 the mRNA that encodes the information for the production of the spike protein, 
also is itself is toxic. Uh, that this this then is this the apex of the insanity. Uh, I mean, they, this this was the worst possible failure that you could that you could do, and this also means that that this must have happened on purpose. Uh, when, when I first heard about these mod, modified RNA injections, I looked first at these lipid nanoparticles. Yeah, where is the receptor that lets them enter only the skeletal muscle cells? I couldn't find anyone. They were deliberately fabricated that they can enter any body cell and even uh, transferred it through the, the blood-brain barrier and the placental barrier. So they were deliberately made up as a shotgun that, that, that delivers the target to all cells, even in the brain, in the heart, and in the fetus and embryo. This was known before their emergency use authorization. If he had some basic medical knowledge, some basic knowledge and immunology, he, he could have known this. And we had to have guns. Yeah, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you brought up um, that that saying "dose that makes the poison" because it's something that I've been looking at for a very long time. And the mRNA platform, um, which we know has been uh, used with the Pfizer and Moderna um, COVID injections, I want to talk to you a little bit about the mRNA platform because. It's experimental. We know from scientific evidence for many, many years that mRNA has always been considered very dangerous and has produced many serious adverse reactions previously. Now, Moderna, for example, and I will be doing um, an in-depth piece on Moderna, but I don't know if many people um, have actually equated the fact that the dosing in these, I mean, it's bad enough that the mRNA nanolipids are included in this solution. However, Pfizer are giving 30 micrograms of mRNA and Moderna 100 micrograms. So there again, we have a huge difference in dose and the MHRA and I believe the Swiss medic, which I believe is the Switzerland uh, health regulator, they seem to have uh, given approval. I, I'm, I really love you to comment on this and to, to correct me if I'm wrong, but they seem to have been given a, a, a just blanket approval for all mRNA um, drugs coming up. They've approved one. So basically, if they've approved one, then the, the recipe, if you like, is fine for the rest of them. And we can see in the United Kingdom, Moderna are just building an mRNA distribution manufacturing factory in Oxfordshire. And we're very much looking, I guess, or scientists seem to be incredibly excited about mRNA. Why are they so obsessed and excited about mRNA? Is it because it's cheap? Is it because it's quick to produce? Is it because it's so toxic? And what is the significance, do you think, of the regulator and the dose being a cardiologist? Yes, as you mentioned, already the dose of the modified RNA varies by a factor of about three mm -hmm. uh, between these two products mentioned. But then on top of this, 
comes the individual, the different individual dose. And, and this we do not know, but there might be a range of a factor of 100 or so. Maybe you produce, you would produce 1 billion spike proteins and I would produce 100. So then, so it, this, this makes the, the individual effective dose even more uncertain than, than the than the than the, than the, than the, the, the different dose of the, of the modified RNA. Then, well, for the manufacturers, it is of course cheaper and more rapid to produce these modified RNA vaccines. And as you said, I mean, this was experimental for cancer patients, and there I was I was really surprised. I mean. It's, of course, a huge difference whether you apply an experimental treatment in terminally ill cancer patients or in healthy, young people and even unborn babies, unborn people. I mean, yeah, this was another insanity, of course. And it is, as you mentioned also, uh, I think they they try nowadays. They say, "Oh well, it was this. It was effective and safe." Well, now we prove this platform is effective and safe. We do not uh, do if we if we do the same, for example, for influenza or for whatever. We do not need many many uh, uh, pivotal studies. Uh, it, it's always the same. The lipid nanoparticle is the same. There is just some different uh, RNA in it, but basically it's the same. So they, we do not uh, need to do uh, any studies. And then, of course, again, is what who is acting uh, uh, unwillingly and who is evil? This from the diff distance, it, it's hard to say, but I cannot imagine that the scientists who are involved in the development of this have no idea about this. And, um, and, and, and yeah. yeah, for me, it's not understandable. It's, it's a mystery. And um... with the serious adverse reactions, and I know that I've, I've listened to many of your interviews and you've likened some of the serious adverse reactions that you're seeing as, as almost similar to that of transplant rejection, that serious. Can you explain that a little bit more? I guess many scientists or fellow doctors are talking, talking about the toxic spike protein and the toxic lipid nanoparticles, which is true, of course. But what I seldom hear is what you mentioned and what I mentioned before, that the cells who express and then produce and then present this foreign protein on their cell surface are destroyed by the immune system. And this is very similar to transplant rejection. So if, if mainly my heart muscle cells express and then present this foreign protein on their body, my immune system thinks, oh, this is a transplanted heart. And they attack it with an autoimmune reaction uh, about in the same way as they would attack a transplanted heart. It's, it's, this, this is important because this is a basic flaw. I mean, they could say, okay, well, now we realize the spike protein is toxic, the lipid nanoparticles is toxic, but now we, we learned uh, and the, the, the mRNA vaccine against influenza. Uh, that will be safe, of course. There will be a not toxic antigen, and the lipid nanoparticles will be not toxic as well. 
these two basic flaws of the whole modified RNA platform are the same. Unknown individual effective dose and these transplant uh, rejection like autoimmune attack against the expressing cells. And yeah, but this about this, uh, I don't hear a lot of discussion. They, they debate about the spike and protein at the lipid nanoparticles, but this also explains many of the damages, uh, part of the clots. And, and also the, 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 vas- the panvasculitis, the inflammation of, of the endothelial cells of, of, the, of the arteries and veins. Is highly likely is not only caused by the spike protein itself, but might also be caused by this autoimmune attack of these cells. Also, because these these are the first cells that see the lipid nanocar particles in the blood, and that then express the spike protein. And the German pathologists Arne Burkhardt and uh, Professor Lang, they they proved everything we mainly Professor Suchari Bhakti, in, in our first open letter to the European Medical Agency, in, I guess we wrote it in February 28, we predicted all the, almost all this, what would happen, all this damage, what would happen. We predicted before the first cases of, of sinus, cerebral sinus venous thrombosis were reported. It's also somewhat amazing. I mean, nowadays, uh, Robert Malone uh, in, in the UK, Asim Malhotra, huh? Robert, the, the, the former uh, co-inventor of this insanity, the latter uh, co- a fellow cardiologist who once advocated these injections on television and, and even ridiculed vaccine hesitancy. I mean, these, these are now uh, on, on, the, on the world tour uh, <laughs> on the world tour for uh, Corona information, and the first, and, and really the first one, I guess, worldwide who predicted everything was Professor Sucharit Bhakti, my good uh, German friend. Uh, he he wrote a book where where he, where he explained this, predicted many things. Then a second book already in, in summer 2020. Did did. That those those guys are not heard in, in, in even in the new media seldom. Huh? This is quite amazing. Thank goodness for doctors like you because you don't. I mean, many many doctors that I speak to, um, they've lost their life's work. They've been discredited. They've been um, terrorized. They've been they've been branded the most heinous names. And there's there's so many things that I want to talk to you about. So. Before we go off possibly the sub, because I want to talk to you about masks, I want to talk to you about lockdown, about asymptomatic transmission. So before I do, just on the subject of of the injections, um, I'm hearing from you that clearly, and and, and I I think if I'm correct, I share your your, um, message in that the mRNA platform should be stopped immediately, immediately. But... I think many people watching this today will either know people that have had the vaccination or injection, um, the gene treatment or whatever one wants to call it, or they may be watching and have had the injection themselves. And I know that your message is one of no fear because 
fear is so dangerous. I mean, you're a cardiologist, so you know very well what fear can do to the heart. And we've been flooded with a cascade of information. People have been feared into taking an, an injection that hasn't been tested. Um, what would be your message now to people watching that either have had the injection or have got friends or family that have had it? Yeah, this is important what you're told. Uh, the other side, of course, they worked with panic and uh, this made this made the people obey their orders. And of course, we may not do the same. It is my duty as a doctor to calm my patient. I mean, if if a patient comes to me and has a serious condition, for example, cancer, I, I would not say, oh, my God, you have cancer. I cannot help you go home and die. No. Of course, I will explain to him, yeah, the, the situation is serious, but we have options and we, we can fight this together and we have a, a good chance to win. Huh? And here it is the same. Uh, I, I think we should compare this. The best comparison, I think, is to compare these shots with smoking. They increase the short and long-term risk, just like smoking. And you, from smoking, you can die from uh, myocardial infarction, or you can die from lung cancer. And I, I say, tell the people it is maybe like this. So if you had one shot, this is maybe about the same as if you smoked ten, um, uh, one package per day for 10 years. So we call this 10 packages. Two shots might be, 20, might be 20, three shots 40, four shots 80. So even if you have been injected three multiple times, even four times, I guess it is like with smoking. It is almost never too late to give it up. And then, of course, you have an increased risk dependent on the amount of the dosages you had. But then just also improve your lifestyle, live healthier, and then you can decrease this risk, maybe to, to, to where it was before you lived unhealthy and, and were unchapped. I think this is, is, is the best comparison to compare this with smoking. And, and I think this gives the people some prospect. It is almost never too late to give up smoking and it is almost never too late to give up jabbing. Just no other jab, even if someone is, is uh, putting a gun at your temple. Just do not do it again. And also in, in the clinical, uh, in my patients, if I see, for example, a 50-year-old patient with a myocardial infarction, I cannot say whether this was caused by the shots or not. But I can say it is a risk factor for cardiovascular disease, for example, just like smoking, just like diabetes, just like high cholesterol, etc., and uh, it increased his risk. But I cannot say uh, whether it was the shot who killed him or not. This we can only say if we, if we in, in dead people or in living people where we have biopsies that can be examined uh, following the, the methods of the German pathologists who started with this in, in autumn 2021. They do uh, also immune histochemical examination, so they can look for the spike protein and for the nucleocapsid protein, that is another uh, protein on the surface of SARS-CoV-2, and then they can exactly say 
was this myocarditis, myocardial infarction, stroke, or whatever caused by the vaccines? Was it caused by COVID, by SARS-CoV-2, or was it caused by, was it naturally, just, just like it, it, it happens? Uh, but these, these autopsies are not done. Uh, I mean, the, the United States usually are at the forefront of medicine, but it was these, these uh, professors emeritus, huh? two pathologists in Germany, who started to do this in autumn 2021. And as I said before, they confirmed all our predictions. They found this lymphocytic infiltration similar to heart transplant rejection in all organs, also in the placenta, what they didn't, couldn't examine yet were uh, stillborn babies. But I guess this, this is, is, will be the next approach, and I'm absolutely sure they will find the spike also in these poor unborn children. I mean, to inject this poison also into children and even into unborn children this was absolutely reckless. And this, this uh, yes, I, I, I cannot understand anything, but this especially I cannot understand. How could anyone possibly inject such a poison, such a heinous poison, into pregnant women? This, this, I, this is, this is, is, is an, an incredible crime. I completely share your exasperation and um, Moderna actually have just brought out a new advert which we will be we 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 will have shown on UK column by now um, by the time this interview goes out and the Moderna advert very much targets mRNA for the future for young people pretty much everybody in the advert was young or a child so clearly we can see mRNA being targeted, not just for everybody, but specifically for our unborn babies. And given what we know, I mean, in thalidomide, for example, you know, that was stopped immediately. And it was it was deemed never to be experimenting on pregnant women ever again. We That was a no-no for me as a nurse. It's a no-no. And for you as a doctor, I know it's a no-no. And we seem to have created almost a pandemic of the worried well, um, to the point where I just want to quickly switch subject a little bit in that asymptomatic transmission. I mean, let's just talk about asymptomatic transmission, because for me, as a nurse, asymptomatic transmission, number one, doesn't exist. And number two, really, is just another phrase for a healthy person. Or have I got something wrong here? You are completely right. You are a reasonable human and nurse with, with broad knowledge. Yeah, of course, there is some asymptomatic transmission. But, it, but only, for example, if I, if I get sick tomorrow huh, and this evening I kiss my partner, really, huh, really kiss for a long time, huh, then maybe, maybe I could infect her. Uh, but this is very close contact, which is important for public health. Is is this asymptomatic? Is does asymptomatic transmission exist? as is epidemiologically relevant? And no, 
there is no epidemiologically relevant asymptomatic transmission of any respiratory virus. And this has been proven again by numerous studies for SARS-CoV-2. And this alone, this, the fundamental scam of this is, is the fundamental fraud is, is, is the PCR test. And the second one is this myth of epidemiologically relevant asymptomatic transmission. And both myths were propagated in January 2020 by the German professor Christian Brosten. Because, of course, with this myth, you could fright, panic the people. If, if I meet you on, on the street huh, and we are both heart and, heart and healthy, you could be my angel of death. Huh? And this was the notion. And this, of course, was used for these non-pharmacological interventions. But if there is no epidemiologically asymptomatic, trans epidemiologically relevant asymptomatic transmission, then it is a priori clear that all non-pharmaceutical interventions, antisocial distancing, masks, isolation, quarantine, school closures, and curfews for asymptomatic, formerly called healthy people do not work, are ineffective but can only harm. The only thing, the only two measures that can somewhat contain a respiratory virus we know for, for centuries, these are hygiene and uh, self-isolation of sick people. But maybe, maybe some people stayed at home that were sick that would not have stayed at home there was a little effect of this lockdown for everybody but of course but this effect is probably so so low that it is not measurable i mean with this alone we do not we do not need to 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 look at studies about lockdown school closures masks and all this with the fact that there is no epidemiologically relevant asymptomatic transmissions, it is clear a priori that all these measures for healthy people are ineffective, have no effect, and do only harm. But there is no more knowledge in the brains. I mean, the problem is highly, obviously, we have not, not many uh, natural intelligent people nowadays. They have all become artificial intelligent. They only believe something if a, if a study shows it. And the problem is that that, that, is, that, that what, what appears in the medical journals is controlled by the editorial mafia, just like uh, what, what appears in the, in, the old, in the old media is controlled by the editors. There is total narrative control, and there must be this total narrative, narrative control, because as I, as I said, the corona narrative is such utter nonsense that once the people heard our other position, our other narrative, they immediately realize who is wrong and, and who is correct and who is wrong. So it's of absolute importance that they have total narrative control in the, in the old media. And, and this is, I guess, I guess this they learned in the, in the swine flu scam. The swine flu scam ended when mostly Professor Wolfgang Wodar, the German doctor was, who was also a member of the German parliament and of the European parliament, uh, came into, into, into the media and, and then uh, it could be stopped just in time before, it, before the insanity was created. But then I guess they learned they need to have both things. They need to have total control over the 
over the mass media and total control over the virus. And total control over the mass media obviously is, is, is not difficult to, to, to gain, but total control over the virus is impossible. And they, so they came up with this Carmen Dross and nonsense RT-PCR test that is just used to crank up or down the case numbers according to the screen. Because theoretically, this, this test detects one single virus. And of course, one single virus does neither mean uh, infection with SARS-CoV-2 or death from COVID. This, this is utterly insane. And we know, we know since March 2020 that the, the, the official WHO definition of a corona death is death diseased within 28 days after a positive Kormann-Dross nonsense test. So at that moment, it was clear that the, that the, the case numbers were blown up, that the, that the cold virus blown, was blown up into a killer virus with this nonsense test. Uh, it's incredibly simple. It's, it's mainly a testing pandemic. And for the people who do not believe this or do not know what, uh, what the PCR testing pandemic is, I highly recommend to read a New York Times article published in 2007. Uh, the title is Faith in Quick Test Leads to Pandemic, Leads to Epidemic. That wasn't. They, they describe a, a, an alleged endemic of pertussis in New Hampshire where uh, thousands of people were tested with a homebrew PCR test, 142 are positive, and in the end, in the bacterial culture, the gold standard for diagnosing pertussis, there was none, none uh, positive case. So the whole epidemic did not exist in reality, but only in the, in the minds of the involved people. This is what we see here is, I don't know whether it's by 95, 99, or 100%, 100% is a, mainly a RT-PCR testing pandemic and you could you can do this with any cold virus imagine if if one if you can detect one virus just one single virus with the, with a test and if uh, one virus means infection from this disease or death from this disease in any endemic of any cold virus Almost everybody has at, at the apex of this endemic one virus in his throat. So we could we can create exa exactly the same mess with any cold virus. If we stop this nonsense testing for corona and, and do it on influenza, we immediately have an influenza testing pandemic, or we can create a metapneumovirus testing pandemic or whatever. It is mainly a testing pandemic. We've been talking for a very long time on the UK column, right from the, the get-go, I believe, about the um, PCR tests, about how unreliable they are, how they, well, they're a complete, in my opinion, scam. Um, and we've seen, and I've interviewed people with tragic, tragic stories, having lost loved ones alone because they've been isolated from being with them in their last days because of a, a fake or a, a, a false positive PCR test. Um, I've seen mothers separated from their children, terminally ill children, 
because of false narratives with regards to the PCR tests. So we've been talking about that for a very long time and how invasive it was. And I was I was seeing volunteers. I mean, as, a, as an ENT nurse, I would not attempt a nasopharyngeal swab without a consultant oversee. You know, the head has to be tilted back at a certain angle. This is a very delicate structure that they're sticking a six inch swab in. So regardless of anything else, I felt that it was a very invasive procedure. And as we know, the I think the WHO changed its criteria for calling a, a, a global emergency or a pandemic before um, the COVID pandemic. So basically the WHO could just call an emergency whenever they want. What scares me more than anything, I think, is the youngsters and the youngsters particularly that are going into university now, because I don't know what your views are on what they're being taught or what they're going to be expected to roll forward given the narrative. But it seems that the academic institutions, right from grassroots, appear to have been corrupted. What future do we do our youngsters have in university today or medical school? Yes, first, also to, to, to the test. I mean, there was no medical reason to do these PCR tests transnasally. Uh, I mean, if, if you have it in the upper nasal pharynx, and you have really an infection, you find the virus also two or three centimeters below this. So you could this, do this transorally. I, all, 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 I always do this transorally, of course. Yeah, but this, was, this is just so, uh, much more invasive, as you mentioned, to do it transnasally. And this was, again, abused to humiliate the people. Of course, there are... There are Videos of crying babies, of crying children, where they push this up the nose. It, it, yeah, this it, it was again a means of submission. It was. It is. It is about psychopathic abuse. Then you mentioned the the, the pandemia definition. Yeah, you are totally right. But what what does a, 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 what do lay people understand on the pandemia pandemic? They 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 match in. The, the, the Spanish flu, or even corpse of deaths uh, like in the, in, the, in the Black Death. But now, in, in 2009, for reasons that have never been declared, the WHO changed the definition of a pandemic it, by taking out the dangerousness of the causative germ. And since then, any seasonal wave of a flu or a cold that, that uh, goes over at least two continents, can be declared a pandemic. This is totally insane. They can just say, oh, well, the next influenza uh, season, we call an influenza pandemic, HXNX. Huh? And they did this, they abused this in 2009 when they declared the swine flu uh, pandemic caused by influenza H1N1 that was less dangerous than the seasonal influenza. And they did the same again in March 2020 when they declared this COVID pandemic caused by a coronavirus that was also less dangerous than the seasonal flu. And I think the third point was, yeah, you are totally right. I mean, I'm happy that I'm not 20. I mean, 
it started before this, of course. Uh, uh, I, 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 I'm quite sure that you also do not believe in the, in the CO2 climate scam. Huh? So this is exactly the same. I mean, I mean, look, the, the official conspiracy conspiracy theory there is uh, sun, clouds, cosmic rays, oceans do not exist. CO2 and not 100% of CO2, the 4% anthropogenic CO2 are the climate's control now. I mean, how insane is this? Huh? And uh, the, the, in, in, in our best universities in Switzerland, we have some famous universities, the ETH, for example, in Zurich. Uh, they, the, the students have to learn this nonsense, and if they exam, they have to write this nonsense, or they do not pass. I mean, yeah, science, science is death. Uh, this death, uh, it's 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 yeah, it's 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 crazy. And but you have to look how, how this, how was this possible? For example, the the, the, the presidents uh, of the, of the Swiss, the leading Swiss universities, they are member of Gulf. Gulf is an abbreviation. I do not know for the moment what it means, but it's it's they are associated with the WEF, the World Economic Forum. So the World Economic Forum could not only undermine almost all governments, but also the universities. They managed to impose this insane belief system over decades, over decades, of course, in universities. They created hundreds of thousands of NGOs. So in the end, that some ruling psychopaths, some multi-billionaire psychopaths managed to impose their psychopathy on the whole society. And the psychopaths work incredibly simply. They simply turn everything upside down. Right? True is false. Um, war, is pe uh, war is peace. If, if once we have understood this, we understand perfectly the total insanity we live in an anti- in a psychopathic anti-universe. And it is difficult for a sane person not to be gaming in this uh, global insanity, of course. And we have the people to educate about this. Sometimes I I explain to, 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 to a colleague the whole corona narrative and all this, and in the end he says, no, but, uh, well, I simply refuse to believe this. Or, you ordinary empathetic people do not believe that such evil really does exist outside of high, high security prisons. And for this, it is also important that we do not only scientifically and medically uh, educate the populace, but that we have to talk about good and evil again, not on the on the label, I'm the good guy, you're the bad guy, or on Kant's knowledge uh, of the 18th century, 17th, 18th century, but on, on, the, on the knowledge of Robert D. Hare, I can highly recommend to read him. He was He's a Canadian psychologist who in the 60s, in the 1960s, studied mass murderers in high-security prisons, and then he came up with this... Uh, term psychopaths these are these are people that have no empathy no remorse these are these are ice cold people 
they can kill anybody without twinkling of an eye. And this we have to realize. We could call them also severe malignant narcissists. And in this age of narcissism that started in the late 1970s, oh, not only the nurse, you must you must not be good. You must be a good actor to climb up in a hierarchy, to go up in a hierarchy. So the narcissists go up, but also the severe malignant narcissists. So in the higher ranks, we have the, the level of the politicians. Probably they are not all severe malignant narcissists, but they are narcissists. Huh? I, I, I usually call them narcissistic village idiots. Nowadays, I call them narcissistic urban idiots because... It is that the people on the countryside that is rooted in the reality. The problem is the academicians that are most easily to, to be deluded. So in, in, in politics, we have these narcissistic urban idiots. And on the level above, we have the ruling psychopaths. And these, of course, are the puppeteers. I think once we have to realize this power structure, we realize much better what is going on. I completely identify with everything that you've said, including that we're living in an upside down world. Everything seems to be uh, seems to have been inverted. And as for narcissism, you know, I, I'm seeing so much more of it. And I I know that you've also you, I think you highlighted an example where you'd seen a beautiful mountain and you wanted to take a picture of the mountain. But you certainly weren't going to turn the camera on yourself and put your face in front of the mountain because you wanted a picture of the mountain. I think we see evidence of it everywhere, but I'm, I'm keeping my eye on the clock because I know as a practicing cardiologist, you've got appointments, but I wanted just to, to finish on letting people know, because there's, there's plenty more that I really want to talk to you about, including masks and children. So I do hope you'll come back to us because there are so many more topics, but I know that people watching, will say, well, where do we find Dr. Thomas Binder? And I know, well, I'm hoping you're going to tell me, well, I know, actually, you're back on Twitter because you were kicked off, weren't you? But you've been reinstated. And tell us where we can find you on Twitter. Yes, I was banned from Twitter in March 2021 when I shared this open letter to the MA that I mentioned before, and I was reinstated this January uh, by Elon Musk. Musk. I, I, I don't understand his agenda, but still, huh? <laughs> at least in this aspect, I'm uh, thankful. You find me there under um, Thomas underscore Binder. And I have a homepage. It's a lousy homepage. I had created myself once overnight just to secure my stuff. It is just Thomas Binder, in one word, thomasbinder.ch, ch for Switzerland. There you can find me. A mark of respect to my very eminent guests, of which you are one, is to end on the final word, for you to give your final word to your colleagues, to members of the public, to, to politicians, to whoever you want. But before I do throw across to you for the final word, I just want to say, from my perspective, um, and I'm sure I speak on behalf of a lot of other people, in that maybe some of the so-called people or experts that are following the narrative may call you mad. I call you kind, reasonable, gentle, honest, and God forbid, should I ever need a cardiologist, I would hope that it would be someone like you 
who follows their professional code, who puts their patients first, who follows the do no harm principle and always, always thinks of safety. And for that, I thank you so much for you and Dr. Bhakti and all of the COVID Doctors for Ethics and the other doctors that are standing up and speaking the truth. It's a brave thing to do. And I hope very, very much that we all get heard. Um, but I'm gonna leave the last word to you because we really, really do value your time. We know it's so precious. We hope very much that you'll come back and join us. So for the final word, Dr. Thomas Binder, thank you so much for joining us today. Over to you. Thank you, Debbie. You are a role model for all nurses and for journalists as well, of course, huh? in the new media. The future will be, uh, the, the new media will have a future. The old media will die out eventually. And then please, first, dear fellow doctors, look, they could not kill me. They could not do me harm. I'm still practicing. We never had a pandemic of a killer virus. We had a pandemic of cowards. And first and foremost, you doctor, you fellow doctors who did not speak out were cowards. And your guilt will increase with every day. So please stand up against this now and help to end this insanity, which is a genocide, first and foremost, by no longer injecting this poison in anybody. Not to unborn children, but not, but also not to 99-year-olds. They are not good for anyone. And dear human fellows, do not despair, but do not trust that the Savior will save you. Huh? Please realize the Savior is in us all. Only if we all together stand up, unite, and fight against this always peacefully, and lawfully, of course, only then we will win eventually, just by civil disobedience if necessary. Just say no. If they come up with a no vaccine, say no. If they come up with masks, say no. Just no. And please do this, if not for yourself, then for a future worth living of your children and grandchildren and do this now. Thank you.